And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello, 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 and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show where we watch and discuss movies in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Dylan Cuellar. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Nick Fulton. And today we are discussing Charlie Chaplin's City Lights, a 1931 movie, which is about a young tramp. Uh, actually, is he young? He's probably kind of young. Anyway... Uh, an approaching middle-aged tramp yeah. at this yeah, point, that's, for sure. that's probably true. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, a tramp, he meets a blind flower girl, he meets a suicidal millionaire, and hijinks ensues. It's not the most complicated of movies. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the argument of whether there's a true plot to this movie could be genuinely delivered, but that is okay, because... <laughs> This is a classic that has stood the test of time. So, um, I thought we should start off with discussing all of our histories with uh, Charlie Chaplin movies. Um, I'm going to start with Janet because I think this might be the quickest of the three. <laughs> yes, I have no history with Charlie Chaplin movies. Um, yeah, this is my first one. I mean, I've obviously seen tons of clips, tons, of you know, like very familiar with lots of parts of uh, Charlie Chaplin movies, but this is my first time actually sitting down to watch one so that was a bit of a treat mm -hmm. nick uh i've seen a few i've seen this one before i've seen like modern times the kid um great dictator maybe one or two more but i'm not like gold a, rush i haven't seen the gold rush oh lord have mercy nick no so i've seen uh i've seen a few i'm not like a, a completist by any means mm -hmm. but i like him I like this movie. Uh, is, it, movie. is it your favorite Chaplin? You know, maybe a week or so ago, I probably would have said uh, Modern Times is. And I still think Modern Times has better bits. But this one has a, a little bit more of a, an emotional punch, whereas Modern Times is a little bit more, I guess, political. Yeah. And, and no shade to Modern Which, Times because, holy shit, that movie's good. But Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess it's just depending on what what kind of mood you're in mm -hmm. um whether you like one or the other but um i don't know Re having rewatched bits of modern times recently with evie and then rewatching city lights i think I, I think i have flipped and like city lights better i i think a good argument could be made that modern times is funnier this is a very funny funny movie but it's arguably one of chaplin's least funny i think um we don't have much to discuss in way of Oscars this time because, well, for one, Charlie did not give two shits about the Oscars, so no campaigning, no anything which is as important then as it was now. Um, the The best picture winner, though, was Cimarron, which is notoriously one of the worst movies ever to have won an Oscar. What's that about? Do, do you know what it's about? Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't. I, don't I, I can't personally <laughs> comment, but <laughs> just heard it's bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. It sounds like cinnamon, so maybe it's about cinnamon. It's it's also just like very like has not stood the test no. of time, right? Like no one no one's seen it, no one knows what it's about. Yeah, but uh, he, he, everyone's still seeing City Lights, so mm -hmm. that's stood the test of time. Have 
Have you ever seen the clip of when Charlie Chaplin came back um, and won his honorary Oscar or when mm-hmm. they gave him an honorary Oscar, like when he was quite no. old? Um, it's really very sweet. He got like a 12-minute standing ovation. Um, it's like the longest short. standing ovation in Oscar history. Um, and he was like very emotional accepting the award. It was pretty sweet. It was very late in his life, like after he sort of had had a, a bit of a decline mm-hmm. in his later years. But it's very sweet. Man, they wouldn't allow that at the current Oscars. They'd play that off that... <laughs> Yeah, a, I, I can't imagine a twelve-minute standing ovation for anything. Yeah. A twelve-minute standing ovation is something that they give it can for like the seventh best movie. That I, I know, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, haven't there been like hour-long standing ovations or something? Yeah, or half yeah. hour at least. It's like, come on, no movie except City Lights is that good. But that's okay. <laughs> um, so just up front, then I'll just want to ask in general, what did you guys think about the movie, Jana? I liked it. Um, there was a lot of bits, obviously, that I recognized. I was like, "Oh, this is like the boxing movie." It's sort it's of what the I. Boxing movie. It's funny that like that that had been my takeaway. I think before I watched it, if you asked me what is this movie about, I'd be like, "He's a boxer in it." <laughs> like that's I would have thought. And it's that like was this tiny so sequence. I I know it's one like a very good and entertaining, but one very discreet um, sequence. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it though. I thought it was fun. Um, you know, you can see why <laughs> he's tra- Chaplin is so well regarded and admired. Like, I, yeah, it was very impressive, very fun. Um, I liked all, I liked all the little bits. Nick. Yeah, no, I agree. There's some, there's some good bits, and you know, this movie has uh, a good, like, kind of. Um, I can't think of the term, like. Uh, like a stripped down but classic um, story. Like, what's the word? It's like a fable. Mm, yeah, in this chat uh, Yeah, there's a there's a synonym that I'm not, I'm blanking on. You're I gonna, guess you're I gonna guess think of it at the, it, right as we're wrapping up yeah, the no. podcast, and then we're gonna have to redo the outro. No, in keeping with uh, this being a silent movie, uh, I'm just not gonna use. I'm just not gonna figure out what that <laughs> word is. All right, fair enough. Uh, I will say it had actually, I mean, we sort of joked about it not having too much of a plot, but it has kind of a, also a very sort of linear, straightforward plot mm-hmm. too, which I wasn't sure what to expect, where it's just like, he meets a rich guy, and then, like you said, <laughs> hijinks sort of ensue from there. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's interesting, because there's like two to arguably three completely separate plots just moving at the same time. There's not like one overall mm-hmm. cohesive plot, um, mm-hmm. mainly stemming from his friendship with the rich suicidal millionaire and the blind flower girl. Um, so one of the interesting things I learned in the director, in the commentary from Chaplin's biographer, who I can't remember the name of uh, the rich millionaire was originally going to be a black kid, like a poor black child. That was interesting. That would change the story considerably. <laughs> I have to imagine. Yeah. Was he still getting thousands of dollars from him? Yeah. <laughs> I have I've no yeah, idea. Yeah. I could see how that works for like the beginning of saving the guy's life, but after that part, I, I feel like the plot would fall apart a little there. Yeah, um, there, there's also a rumor that uh, this movie is semi-autobiographical, where his mom had just recently had died from a disease, and so the fla- the blind flower go with her affliction is the mom that she's trying to save, and uh, the rich millionaire is his like dad who would was a drunkard and would go back and forth between like this kind notice scene of Chaplin and just 
violent indifference. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was something interesting. Um, yeah. Kind of makes the movie a little bit sadder. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to save his mom and his dad in this movie. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> just yeah. awkward pause. Anyway, so let's uh, let's get in the movie. Um, the movie starts off with an unveiling of a statue in the middle of a uh, like park. Is it? It's kind of like a park. Um, yeah, some like town square kind yeah, of. Yeah, and the the statue is named Peace and Prosperity, and there's all these like big political people giving speeches and uh, in keeping with. Chaplin not liking sound films, he just dubs them over with a kazoo, and they sound like the um, parents from Charlie and Char- Charlie, Brown. Charlie, Charlie Brown. Brown over the phone. Yeah. So I will say, I so I didn't like. I just started watching the movie, and I hadn't looked up anything or googled anything. So well, I just started watching it, and then that sequence happened, and I was like, "When was this movie? <laughs> this is a silent film, but he's definitely doing a thing." And so then I went and mm-hmm. googled, and was like, "Okay, so this now we're in the '30s." And basically saw that, yeah, Chaplin just decided to keep making silent films because that was his art form. Uh, so then that made it make a little more sense. But I was caught very off guard by the kazoo <laughs> in that opening scene. Yeah. Um, and actually, the kazoo was played by Chaplin. So it's technically Chaplin oh, speaking there. Sure. Sure. Um, and I just find it interesting that when they decide to reveal peace and prosperity, it's not necessarily the statue they reveal, but just this the tramp who's just dead asleep on one of the statues. I will say one thing I wanted to add about that was on the, I had the closed captioning on while I was watching it, which is very silly in a silent film, but I just didn't turn it off from before. (laughs) Um, But the captioning, when the guy starts talking, says quacking. And then when the woman is talking, it says squeaking. (laughs) It made me laugh. And like all the male voices were captioned as uh, quacking and the woman as squeaking. And it made me laugh a lot. That's quite a distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so moving on. Yeah, what part uh, of the movie are he, we? Uh, he rips his <laughs> beginning. Still, still on the statue. He, yeah. uh, oh, right, he rips right. his pants on the sword, and he gets all caught, and he's trying to get down. Um, my favorite part of that sequence was when he's like uh, caught on the statue, and then the the national anthem starts playing, and mm. he has to like stop and try to salute. And he, he and, starts like, like while he's extricating himself. Yeah. Yeah. And- I like that. Part. Chaplin's little uh, like hat, hat hat nod, it's it's just mm-hmm. it's just so yeah. iconic. Um, something yeah. I learned in the commentary also is the Star Spangled Banner wasn't actually a national anthem in 1931. They got lucky on sure. that one. I think I knew that. I'm say I think I knew that vaguely, but I like him. And then he's like sitting on the hand. He's yeah, like I... sits on the the one part face <laughs> and then the hand, and he's scandalizing all the people. And then he starts like tying his shoe on one of their thighs. Yeah. And... Yeah, just so horrified. It's like just very good physical mm-hmm. comedy. I mean, that's that's his whole yeah, that's deal. Chaplin's yes, <laughs> but like it's it's kind of his whole bit is is very good physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So actually, an interesting uh, note about this movie is only one shot was filmed on location. So the, this entire city structure was all on a set or uh, an overlay, and uh, this was. Chaplin's most expensive film, which again, like Broken Blossoms, is just like, really? Does this have to be your most expensive film? He has like The Great Dictator, which opens on like this massive like war set piece, and yeah, just, just, really? 
Really? Do you, do we know why? Why it was so expensive? Because he had to build just, all these the, cities. Just, build the, just building the sets. And it's just okay, like yeah. Broken Boston's. It's like, couldn't you just find a city? Just shoot yeah. it there instead of waste all this money building a whole city? It's just building all the sets up, yeah? Yeah. I mean, it looks... Oh, it looks so good. good. Yeah, it looks really good. But I, according to the uh, commentary, part of the reason that they wanted to build their own city was... Chaplin wanted a, a universality to it, so he didn't really want it to look like any specific city. Oh, sure. But, um... It... <laughs> I, I just heard a screaming child. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Didn't he also, like, build a tank for the... I mean, we'll get to it, but the jumping in the... Whatever, the river scene. Oh, didn't in the they water. Have to, like, they had to, like, yeah. build a... Oh, I thought you I meant was gonna an army ask tank. about. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna ask about that. Um, if he had to construct everything, then yeah, that would mean he must have built <laughs> yep. that little sort of riverside, you know, little dock place with the water. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only actual location set was when uh, Chaplin runs into the drunk millionaire outside of the club the second time, and then they start driving. And that's it. Everything else is on a set mm-hmm. and built by hand. Wow. Um, yep. So after after the whole uh, statue scene at the opening, we get to a second statue scene where uh, there's a, a a nude woman, lewdly in a shop window, a statue of a naked mm-hmm. woman, um, and uh, Chaplin pretends to not uh, focus too much on the the the, the female <laughs> body. But uh, he definitely is, and as he's doing this, he keeps on trying to like step back and almost stepping onto a uh, street elevator that keeps on going down. And right, he almost like he's falling in. And I think the best thing about this whole bit is the punchline isn't him finally falling into it; it's he steps onto it, and then it goes then down it- with him, and he gets really angry at the person that's operating it. And they and then that person comes up on the elevator. They turn out to be like seven foot five, and is Chaplin's just like, "Yep, okay, I'm, I'm me, me. Bye-bye. I'm not fighting. Like you, you, you're good." Chaplin knew how to yeah, end a punchline. Yeah, I I liked that payoff too because the yeah the expectation is eventually he's gonna step back and fall down the hole because it keeps like he'll have his foot up and then the thing will come up and it was a lot of back and forth and so I did like that he kind of subverted that and instead just sort of goes down on the elevator instead of having a big fall there mm-hmm. yeah him getting into the argument with the guy who ends up being like a head and a half taller than him reminds <laughs> me of the bit from the Simpsons where uh, Nelson is saying haha to everybody on the street and he says haha to a guy in a car who's like way too big for his small car and the guy gets out and he's like gigantic mm-hmm. it's a good bit yep it's a good bit do need to see The Simpsons. Um, moving on. Uh, yeah, so then he uh, goes around the corner and he meets the blind flower girl. Um, actually, he doesn't go around the corner. He goes through someone's car. And because he's going, like, he literally goes from one passenger side to the other passenger side. And as he closes the door behind him, the girl thinks it's some rich person getting out of their car. And not some, yeah. like, broken tramp person that's, like, literally escaping through these rich people's car. Right. And so she mistakes him as this rich man and decides to sell him a flower. And Chaplin is just obviously like, what? You see me as a normal person, even though everyone else thinks I'm a bum? 
you know, she can't see him, um, which comes to find out. Uh, this is a really cute scene, and this actually holds the Guinness World Record of the most retaken scene ever, because Chaplin wanted to get the exact like uh, moments right to show the girl being blind and how the girl would understand him being rich and even though she's poor um and so this they had to film this scene 326 times so anytime people try to Yikes. talk about uh sorkin perfection or uh, fincher perfectionism or fincher yeah that's, that's yeah. what i'm trying to think the, the fincher the opening social network scene where it took like 110 right. takes and rudy mara almost mm-hmm. killed david fincher on set uh, yeah, yeah I, I, Virginia Cheryl, who plays the blind girl, I have to imagine she wanted to kill Chaplin at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, at, that... at one point, he fired her. Yep. Yeah, but he hi- he hired back. someone in completely different, right? And then something happened with her. And then he was like, had to go back and beg her. And it turns out, so Virginia Cheryl, who was cast as the blind girl, actually was not an actress before this. Um, she uh, she was mainly cast because Chaplin saw her someplace, and she's she was very farsighted and didn't have her glasses on, and therefore adequately could pull off like not being able to see uh, well. Oh, that's so funny! He thought she'd be good to play a blind person because she just wore glasses and could do a good oh, like unfocused I, I, eye I look. No, I didn't. I didn't describe this. She what? She she oh. goes out so. She went when she went out to try to like pick up a guy or something. She didn't wear her glasses, even though she was very farsighted, because she didn't want to uh, like. She didn't thought think it right. Looked good. Yeah, you, you couldn't you couldn't throw in your contacts uh, back no. then like you can now. Um, so <laughs> Chaplin saw her and was like, "Oh my god, this person acts so good at being blinded." Was because she was basically blind without she her glasses. Couldn't see. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, she just has a hell of a look too. Like she's. Yeah, she looks great. Yeah, she does. Um, has a very sort of traditional, what I think of as like silent movie star mm-hmm. look. The short hair bob. Like sort of sad eyes and the hair bob and um, all of that. Wow. She she was married to Cary Grant. I know. I have a list of who she was married to. She was married to Cary Grant. She was married to the Earl of Jersey and then some bloke. Good Lord. <laughs> she got married one, two, three, four times. Yeah. Dang. It looks like the last one stuck maybe. Um I think she died young, though. Yeah. No, she died at 88. Oh, really? Oh, never yeah. mind. But yeah, Cary Grant and the Earl of Jersey. That's a pretty good, pretty good uh, batting average. Isn't the Earl of Jersey Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> My God. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Very good. Um my favorite thing about their uh, meeting is after uh, Chaplin just tries to like go away with like dignity and he wanders around the corner and then he comes back because you know he's pretty and uh he doesn't want to leave he kind of sits on the the stoop on the corner while uh the blind girl goes over to this fountain to refill some water for her flowers and then she like empties it out like right onto him and chaplin can't like give away that he's there and just got splashed with water so he has to like really bite his bite his lip and just take it oh Mm-hmm. He always comes into what uh, the commentary said is every time he sees the blind girl, he gets pain and pleasure, which makes sense. That's basically the whole sure. movie is everyone in pain and in pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, I do like how he 
creates the little coincidences that just lead to her inadvertently thinking that he's the millionaire. <laughs> yeah, like you said, like with the car door and everything. It's nothing he does. It's just that <laughs> all these circumstances come together. So she uh, she respects him more than anybody else because she can't see him. He does. He does look. Yeah, it does kind of. It does kind of uh, lead you to wonder how would this relationship have played out differently had that not happened? Had he just been a guy that she assumed was a regular mm-hmm. guy or even the tramp that he is, um, w- would her reaction to him have been different as opposed to her thinking that he's rich? Right. Might have been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think whether or not it would have been different then, I think the ending kind of has its own philosophy about what it is now anyway um yeah anyway so uh chaplin takes the, the the pretty flower that he got from the girl and he goes down to the riverside uh to enjoy like literally just enjoy looking at his flower he's, he's a little obsessed like calm down charlie um <laughs> and he's pretty pretty simple pleasure i know he just, he doesn't take much for he him he can't like go on facebook and you know talk to friends or mm-hmm. something he's all he's got is just a flower to look at yeah. Um, anyway, while he's there, though, he he sees a man, uh, a very rich millionaire. Uh, he's in a very nice tuxedo as well. Come down with a suitcase, and inside the suitcase is a stone and a noose. And basically, what he's going to do is going to drown himself. And that doesn't yeah. exactly he's a real go elaborate to plan. plan there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chaplin, I think, it ends up getting more drowned than him as Chaplin tries to intervene, but. This whole intervention scene is just hilarious. I just gotta say, yeah, it's like well, inc- more more good physical comedy bits. <laughs> yeah, and it's incredibly black comedy. Like he's yeah, it's just it's a dark, a very extended bit about a guy wanting to kill himself, and uh, you know him almost bringing along someone with him on accident. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so after. Chaplin is able to sort of talk down the man from committing suicide. Uh, they decide to go party, which is just interesting flip. Uh, yep. They, they, they first go to the house of the millionaire. And I think that's when Chaplin sort of realizes that like, oh shit, this guy's got a lot of money that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I, I will say coming out, this movie wasn't made during the Great Depression, but coming out around the time of the Great Depression is uh, mm-hmm. feels pretty pretty good about nailing like this commentary on income inequality and yeah. the rich is the rich and the poor are the poor yeah mm-hmm. um there's a hilarious bit when they get into the house though where uh the rich man's filling up chaplin in his shot glasses and uh he's already so drunk that uh he, he can't hold the bottle upright and so the water the not the water the the alcohol just starts spilling into this hole in Chaplin's pants and it really looks like he's wetted himself and they're both too dumb to even realize it. It's like yeah. n- next time they try to refill the glasses, it's like empty. It's like, Oh no, how much did we drink? And it's like, Oh, you guys are so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Also good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I just find it hard with these, like, movies like this a little bit because it is kind of hard just not to be like yeah that was really funny <laughs> like it was really funny when he did that thing it's like the bicycle thieves um, instead of just it's really sad or it's just now it's like right. oh, it's like it's, it's fun. Fun. it was really funny um yeah i do like the um 
yeah, all all the hijinks with the the drunken millionaire who seems to, um, you know, he. I don't, we don't really get any sort of idea of what this guy's deal is. He's just a millionaire who just wants to party, I mm-hmm. guess. And then he gets drunk and and hangs out with his tramp friend. And then he gets sober and doesn't well, his, remember him or want to have him around anymore. And when he first <laughs> gets home, doesn't his butler say something along the lines of "Your wife left with her bags" or something to that mm-hmm. effect? That's yeah. it. Okay, because I was going to say, is that also why we're led to believe he was trying to kill himself to begin yeah. with? That was okay. that was my take on Thanks. it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the butler is actually no, played just... by Alan Garcia, who was a regular actor in Chaplin movies. Um, oh, sure. Then they go to a, uh, it's some sort of club, uh, where there's a dance floor and a bunch of uh, uh, seats to eat and drink. And uh, I think this probably, besides the boxing scene, probably the most famous gag in the movie, which is like, these two drunk people in this crowded ass party and just completely not getting anything that's going on uh at one point chaplain throws a cigar and it lands on a woman's chair and then she gets burned and then uh the rich man and another man keep on accidentally switching chairs and the other one falls on their butt um there's a dance sequence where a uh it's supposed to be this like representing a pimp and a prostitute and it's like this really violent dance but Chaplin doesn't realize it's a dance and starts trying to defend the and the yeah the intervene female. to save the woman yeah yeah that dance sequence like I, I know it's supposed to be very funny that he doesn't get it but like geez Louise that was a very like violent and aggressive dance I know sequence. I kind of can't <laughs> can't blame him where I'm like yeah I would I would want to intervene too this guy's choking her <laughs> yeah um and probably my favorite part of the whole thing is uh they, they find they finally get like a plate of spaghetti and uh chaplain believes he's eating spaghetti but he's eating this long ass piece of confetti that's hung down from the ceiling and he just starts like following up and i, I don't know I, I wish we didn't have a, a podcast right now because i would just want to show a little clip of chaplain I mean, like like facial expression yeah yeah so much of this stuff is so visual yeah it is really funny when he's like eating the streamer um yeah yeah, it's, it's it's hard to describe, but it's a very funny visual. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that, like, every time Chaplin gets mad about eating confetti instead of pasta or the the millionaire gets mad about getting his chair stolen and he falls on his butt, like, Chaplin and him always just, like, hug each other. Yeah. yeah. They're like very, best a very, they They are. It's, it's like Magic Mike. It's a very loving oh. dude movie when they're both drunk. Oh yeah, they like share a bed. Like they're just like very, very close bros when they're drinking together. Yeah. Um, so then we get to learn a little bit more about the blind girl. She lives with her grandma. Um, interesting fact: the person that played the grandma um, was only a year older than Chaplin at the time. Oh sure. Oh, so she's like in her forties. Yep, she was forty-one. <laughs> Oh, that's that, so funny. So I think they took a lot of makeup. She was originally supposed to be her mom, um, but it turned to grandma. Oh, something I forgot to mention about the party scene, though, is uh, Jean Harlow, who became a very famous actress in the 30s and 40s later, is actually an extra mm-hmm. in that scene before she became famous. Oh, She's, she doesn't, oh wow, that's cool. Suppose I don't think she ever actually showed up on the film, but she was in the room. Mm, she was there yeah. when they filmed it. She just didn't make the cut. That's funny. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. Um so then they uh, leave the party, they get driving home, um, and when, when they get home, they share a bed, 
So as, as Nick said, that's uh, interesting. Um, Just a couple of bros. Yep. I also like that there's a, a drunk driving joke where the guy's just like oh. completely blitzed and he says, be careful how you're driving. He's like, am I driving? It's <laughs> like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah, I noticed that too. Uh, that that would make me uncomfortable. Uh, don't <laughs> don't drive drunk, people. Don't, don't drink and drive, kids. Yeah, yeah. Bad idea. Yeah. I mean, um, it's just another uh, example of like how black the comedy in this movie actually gets, even though it seems oh, like yeah. a sweet movie. We've had a, a drunk driving and a suicide joke within like I don't know ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We also had a very violent dance sequence that yeah seemed very domestic abusey, but yeah, at least we could tell that what it was, it not Chaplin, right? Um, but in the morning after they wake up, two dudes in a bed. Um, uh, the uh, rich millionaire does not seem to remember who Charlie Chaplin is. I don't know how you couldn't. He's so recognizable, even if you were drunk. <laughs> I feel like that would somehow burn into the memory, but... You would think. Uh, he uh, demands the butler kick him out of the house, and lucky for Chaplin, one good takeaway of getting thrown out of his house is he gets thrown right in front of the flower girl. Yep. Um, yeah, and I just love the little coincidences that like he keeps running into these two people with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not seeking them out really at no. all. He just, he's, they keep bumping into each other. Well, it's kind of cyclical at this part, right? Because it's like he p- hangs out with the millionaire, then he goes and sees the flower mm-hmm. girl, um, and then, you know, good, basically just alternates back and forth between doing that, between yeah. hanging out with the millionaire. Which time, is it this time or the next time when he buys, it's the next time he sees her when he buys all the flowers? Yeah, uh, I think it's I the think next it's time. This- yeah. Or is it this time? Uh, I think it's this time. He he buys a bunch of flowers and gives them to the butler, and then they, like, oh hop, yeah, he hops in, he hops in the car that the drunk millionaire gave him like very early that morning, like as they're done right. partying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a great gag of him yeah. like running into the house and like demanding to the butler, like I'm sitting here in this big like throne chair in the in the middle of the hallway mm-hmm. um yeah there's a lot of good yeah. stuff there um there's a really great title card about uh the millionaire which says inhibitions back and memory gone he couldn't care for the dramp which wrote yeah. that one down it's just like <laughs> oof oof yeah eh, I, I don't know poor tramp uh, poor tramp but they uh they meet later and um they they throw a party at the house, and um, there's such there's a great gag where uh, for some reason people have whistles at the party. I don't know why they have whistles at the party, but uh, sure, yeah, you know, drunk chaplains try trying to blow on a whistle and um, goes down his throat. And uh, as this uh, singer is about to give this performance, he can't stop hiccuping and sounding the whistle sound <laughs> making little whistle noises that one, I really liked that too I kind of like Chaplin with clever. a with an audio track it makes <laughs> from some good gags yeah yeah he, he does this he, he has some good like audio only gags and um modern times too like with the coffee and uh like mm-hmm. there's a scene where his his stomach's grumbling and uh a woman's next to him and she has a dog and it's like growling at his stomach so he <laughs> like as much as he didn't like the talkies um of Mm -hmm. movies like 
I, I, I get the feeling that it was only like the dialogue part that he didn't like because he clearly does have kind of a flair for using the audio part of the medium for humor yeah. like between mm-hmm. the whistle bit in this and the um you know the kazoo or whatever it was to the dude talking in the very beginning of the movie um and really like the first joke in the movie is an audio joke it's that guy talking mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I i think that he does do a good job of kind of like blending the new audio part of the medium into his movies yeah i really like that too and like i was saying i didn't really know much about his you know feelings about sound versus silent films or the development of any of that um but it was interesting comparing this to the last silent film we talked about when we watched broken blossoms which was from like what 1916 it's like 15 years earlier Mm -hmm. um and man the film quality like the difference (laughs) in the film quality and the fact that like you're saying nick this is it's a silent film but it's not really a silent film it's just a film without dialogue like because he does make such good use of of audio it's not like okay it's just silent and there might be a piano player in the theater or something it's like no this is very intentional use of sound he just obviously really liked the pantomime style of acting and did not want to do dialogue but Mm -hmm. like broken blossoms a lot of boxing (laughs) true that is the uh (laughs) common denominator between those two movies (laughs) very important uh boxing plot lines Mm -hmm. Um, uh, my favorite bit in the entire movie is also from this uh, party scene that they have at the rich dude's house, like when he sees him for the second time drunk. And it's when the guy offers him a plate of food. I don't know if it's supposed to be like a big thing of bread uh-huh. or what, but then <laughs> the guy moves and he ends up trying to cut open a bald dude's head. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> just there's a lot of good bald head jokes in Chaplin movies, I feel like too. Was there another one in this movie? Yeah. I feel like there was. But anyway. Uh, there... I don't know, but I, I just love that one. Like the the uh like the attention to detail with how the plate of food is organized with the guy's like very, very fancy looking collar with a bunch of triangle things on it is just so funny to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, my favorite part of this scene is when uh, Chaplin hiccups whistle. Uh, it tracks a lot of dogs, and one of the dog is a collie, mm-hmm. which ex- looks exactly like my collie. It's like, oh, it's my dog. It's really cute. Aww. Very cute. Any, any movie that decides to put a lot of dogs into a scene and not kill <laughs> any of them is it's it's a good mm-hmm. it's a good movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Agreed. Did you, did you guys ever watch the show Happy Endings? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was a good show. It only lasted for like three seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was kind of hit or miss towards the end. But um, there's a, a, a bit in one of the episodes that I was reminded of with the the rich guy here needing to be drunk to recognize the tramp and when he's sober I, he, he forgets i was you know gonna make about? that reference too but i didn't know because matt and i refer to that all the time and i, I was like is that too obscure of a reference um no but, it's, uh, it's such yeah. a funny episode any all, all the petty stuff in that episode is just so good so the oh the bit in that episode is she uh starts dating an italian guy because when she's drunk she can speak italian and when she's sober <laughs> yeah, she and- can't 
she can't and yeah and she like accidentally and it, the, the story is something like because she drank her way through europe or something and so <laughs> it's all tied together um but it devolves into her like having to be drunk to talk because like she meets him when she's drunk and can speak italian and then it sort of climaxes with her having to like drink like straight out of bed in the morning <laughs> because she can't talk to him and she's like looking for alcohol to drink like first thing in the morning and then it's like okay this is not sustainable uh, but yeah I think about that I had the exact same thought like, it's just like Penny only speaking Italian when she's drunk <laughs> anyway um, one of the so then again as we talk about the cycl- cyclical nature of this movie uh, Charlie Chaplin goes and back to the flower girl's house this time and uh, she's like is she sick at this point? I can't remember. I think she's sick now. I think so. That happens p- pretty early. Yeah, kind of mid movie. Uh, um, and uh, mm-hmm. she can't work anymore. And uh, you know, the grandma's going to work now. And Chaplin's like, "Oh, I'm going to take a job as a sweet street sweeper." Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of unclear to me if she like is her being sick. Is it like tied to her blindness? Is this all I didn't like something like so? I didn't, it's just like a coincidence. She just has like a crappy life. It's like she's blind. <laughs> now she's sick. They're her broke. She can't sell the flowers. Her grandma has to do it. Yeah, it's a tough life for her. Yeah, I couldn't make any like medical sense of how. <laughs> so that you couldn't she, diagnose her. <laughs> yeah, how. Well, I, I guess I also can't make medical sense out of uh, the guy curing blindness. I know. Her magical Vienna, blindness cure. Yeah. In Vienna or wherever. Um, but yeah, yes, I. In Vienna. I I sort of just took it to be like another element of her being destitute and not only is she blind and they owe money, but she's also like unwell. That's sort of all being tied into the same thing. And, and like you were saying, Dylan, this is all like, like just a couple years post um, the crash. Uh, so I, I think that he has on his mind sort of how, how all of these things were sort of tied in together, like people's well-being and health being tied to financial, uh, you know, inequalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only way that the the drunk person can get quote unquote sick is if he drinks himself basically dead with his money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A real difference between the haves and have nots here. Um, mm-hmm. s- there's a great gag with the the street sweeper scene where uh, Chaplin, um, he's uh, going down the street and he sees a bunch of dung from a... It's weird to think there was like times where streets had horse-drawn carriages, but he sees a bunch of yeah. horse poop on the ground. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. That can be for the other street sweeper. And he turns around and then he like runs into this like these elephants that are start pooping. He's just like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very... Uh different time uh i did like the street sweeper uniforms though i thought yep. that was just a like cute. inherently funny look yeah mm. um yeah but then uh he goes back to the house and there's this wonderful scene where she's feeling better and she could get out of bed she's like spooling this uh this yarn almost um and chaplin's just like oh, yeah so excited i like this scene too yeah she's like so excited <laughs> to talk to her just like how he's acting with this girl is like how like anyone that's ever had like uh, head over heels crush is like oh yeah that's so true mm-hmm. um and so he gets so excited that like oh you want to help me spool your thread and so she starts like trying to spool and it turns out she's accidentally spooling the thread out of his underwear through his I vest. was gonna say I, I feel like he could have <laughs> like 
just very quickly been like, oh, wait, and, and actually handed her the correct piece but of thread. He he's just sitting there holding the yarn. Like, oh, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> right, exactly. That, I mean, I And you can I tell like he's just, like, getting, too. like, more and more wedgied as it goes on. Right, it's just, yeah, she's just winding and winding, and I was like, just, just hand her the right <laughs> piece of thread. But Isn't, is the bit supposed to be that, that he... Um, can't let on that he's the type of person who has clothing that's tattered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. must that makes be sense. it. Yeah, because I could not figure out why, and I, but that would be the only reason that would make sense was that he just couldn't admit that his clothes are threadbare and in tatters because that would uh, give up the the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple, there's a couple interesting notes that um, they had in the commentary at this part, which is. Chaplin acted out every single character's part before they did the scene to tell them exactly how they wanted to be done. Jesus. He was a bit of a control freak. And, like, (laughs) he would be frustrated if people didn't do it like he did it. And they would do takes of him doing each person's part so he could, like, watch them side to side and be like, oh, they're not doing it like I wanted to do. Or, like, I'm not doing what I wanted to do because it doesn't look good on camera what I'm doing. Um Right. What wouldn't want to work in that working environment, especially as he was a pretty angry person most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it's you know very controversial. A lot of times, actors, a lot of actors don't like to be given readings where the director says, you know, say it like this, and then wants them to just like repeat it back. But I like how for Chaplin, since there's no dialogue for him to give readings, he would just physically act out the part and then say, just do what I did. <laughs> like that sounds miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also mentioned that uh, Chaplin was very, very uh, intense when he had to take criticism. He, di- he didn't like it. Um, sure. They mentioned that King Vidor, who is basically one of the most famous uh, silent directors, um, Chaplin was very hurt that he said uh, Chaplin was an incredible actor, arguably the best of the generation, but he wished he was a better director so his movies were better and i'm just like what yeesh <laughs> and uh another per another i don't know which famous critic said this but uh uh he said that um city lights was too sentimental and f- should have focused more in realism and a more realistic and, he, and chaplin should make more realistic movies in the future and chaplin responded mm-hmm. to that by saying so-called realism is artificial phony kosaic and dull and that it is not reality that matters but in a film the imagination that one can make out of it. And I just thought that single quote that Chaplin said in response actually kind of sums up the movie on pretty well as a whole. Yeah. Well, and I think that lines up with what I read about him in terms of sort of wanting to stay in the silent era and, and do these pantomimes. And, you know, he clearly had no desire as far as I can tell to, you know, do anything super realistic or true to life. That was just obviously not his philosophy or he'd be making very different kinds of movies yeah, he'd be making king vidor movies honestly at that point there you go <laughs> um <clears throat> so chaplin now knows that uh oh one of the other things that happens in the spooling scene is he reads the letter that they're 22 dollars overdue which i wonder what that would be in 19 if we did like a conversion to nowadays dollars but 22 dollars i'm assuming in 31 is quite a lot for nowadays dollars. Yes. So if it, we're in 1931, right? Yeah. So if in if in 1931 something was twenty two dollars 
Okay, now it says it would be $376, assuming I'm using this inflation calculator right, which is still pretty cheap for rent, but, you know, they also, it's like a tiny little it's, shack it's, of an apartment, not, I guess, so. It's basically a studio. Yeah, and when she's, when yeah. she's selling a flower on the street. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a little individual. And then and then she's giving flowers away, too. Come I on. know. Um, yeah, yeah, not a good business sound. <laughs> Not she's yeah she's not the the best uh, with her yeah, business model. I don't, I don't want to attack her business acumen, but she really um, <laughs> she's leaving some money on the table by giving away her product, <laughs> giving away the flowers. Yeah. Well, I don't think exactly. she really realized how in debt they were until this point because the grandma was trying to like be like I'll right. Take the grandma's care. hiding yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, of stuff from it. her. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so the grandma is actually currently what uh, f- selling flowers at this point, which I mean she's forty one, but. An actual grandmother shouldn't be out, like, walking the streets trying to sell flowers. That's probably right. pretty exhausting for someone of that age. Um, mm-hmm. So Chaplin realizes he needs to make money quick to be able to help the blind girl pay it off. And also, they realize that there is now a cure for blindness, which... Can we label this movie as science fiction? <laughs> because of the doctor in Vienna with his blindness yeah. cure can, surgery? Can I say this yeah. is my favorite science fiction movie? Will people laugh at me if I say that? yes <laughs> they will but um it, it does have it does have some fantastical elements here yeah um so chaplin realizes to cure her blindness and to pay her rent um one might be a little bit more important than the other but uh he needs to make some quick money fast mm-hmm. and so he goes to the street sweeper and he's like i need to get paid now and the street sweeper's like oh but you've been late literally every day <laughs> Right. That's not going to get you and far. B- before he left for the last one, like his lunch break or whatever, and the the, guy, the boss is literally like, don't be late coming back. And then, which is how you know, obviously, he's going to be late, be late coming back and get fired. Yeah. Um, when uh, he's doing this, though, he is overheard by a boxer who is on the other, like a building right next door. Very convenient, but mm-hmm. I don't really yeah. care. Um, and it's just like, hey, I'm... If, if we box, I'll have the line on my side. And if we bet on you and then you win, we'll get a lot of money. And we can split that half and half. And Chaplin's like, oh, hey, that's going to solve all my problems. But just in yeah. like every Chaplin movie, if you've ever seen one, you, you know that like the thing to solve all the problems is literally just going to make it worse. Of course. Nothing ever works. Um, so we get to the boxing scene. They're warming up. And uh, the cops... Uh, come and chase the guy that he's supposed to box away and out mm-hmm. comes a guy that looks basically exactly like the boxer in broken blossoms yeah he does look a lot like uh, yeah battling yeah he looks yeah, a lot like exactly. battling. um and uh this is probably the funniest scene in the movie which is chaplin just realizes like oh i'm screwed and he has to he's trying to act so nice to this dude this dude is just not having it. He's like lighting the cigarette. Uh, yeah, the the guy who plays the the boxer um, apparently was the last surviving member of the Keystone Cops. Um, <laughs> what you know, the, the Keystone Cop? That's he was a comedian and silent screen star who was the last surviving member of the Keystone Cops. That's good for him. Wow. Yeah. So he had a quite a quite a. Uh, famous although when you go to his uh, wikipedia page the image is of him in the boxing ring with <laughs> charlie Tuttle. it is funny all the everyone i was looking around online on wikipedia like other than charlie chaplin every single other person it's like best known for city being lights. in city lights yeah. Yeah. like that is yeah that is their legacy 
even for Chaplin, yeah, though, think... it may be like best known for being in and directing yeah. City Lights. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, is this the is this Chaplin's peak? Is this where like his career peaks, or does it peak earlier when he's sort of in his groove in the silent era? Uh, I would say it's still probably this, at least, um, like looking retrospectively at it. Like, I think this is mm-hmm. in 2020, what he's best known for at the time. Maybe it was different. Um, yeah. I wouldn't. Did modern times come out after this? Uh, yeah. Modern times is, I can't look up because I'm, <laughs> I'm modern using my times own... is five years, is five 30, years later, 1936. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then Dictator's 37, I think, right? Um, or is it 39? Dictator, Dictator's like just before the U.S. I think it's a year or two it's before 40. the U.S. It's, oh, it's 40? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it goes... Wow, yeah, Chaplin might have 21. had his back decade then. 31 yeah. to 40. Yeah. Because, yeah, he does City Lights, Modern Times, and The Great Dictator. That's a pretty good, huh. pretty good run. I'm not familiar with the one he made before... The circus, uh, city lights, the circus, yeah. Not good. I guess I've, I've only ones I've heard of are the kid, the gold rush, city lights, modern times, great dictator. Yeah. You haven't heard of limelight? And limelight. Yeah. I wasn't counting limelight, but yes, limelight. Um, circus is probably the worst Chaplin, in my opinion. Okay. In that case, <laughs> probably why no one talks about it. <laughs> it's still like a three and a half out of five, at the very uh-huh. least. But like, go on. This is Chaplin. He has a he has a hard yeah, curve sure. working against him, but that's why he was a perfectionist. <laughs> it's like it's just chaos at Nick's chaos. house, <laughs> and it's it's snowing here. Like in addition to, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I had a sense of like was everyone stuck inside because it's snowing or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it just happens to be chaos, and then in addition to that, it's uh, the wind is knocked um, the internet out, and it's snowing. Fun. That's Happy November. So it's not a bad omen at all. Inside. For, it's not a bad omen at all for <laughs> what's going to be happening later this week. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Yikes! Yikes! Ohio. Anyway, um, so before the boxing match, though, uh, Chaplin sees another boxer who is rubbing his face with a rabbit's paw, and then a horseshoe, and he says it's for good luck. So Chaplin, of course, starts doing that because he knows he's about to get murdered by battling two um and then that person goes out and has a boxing match and comes back like completely knocked out and beaten up and chaplin starts trying to like undo the, the luck he gave himself which I don't mm-hmm. know, it's just so funny i love chaplin um and then the boxing scene happens and there's so many good parts of it where uh chaplin is like instead of like going and boxing it he just like completely mirrors the referee so they kind of keep on moving in tandem so the the boxer can't get to him um there's one part where he gets tied up in the um the 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 bell what's the yeah what's the bell called yeah he gets it ends like the rounds it's like the i think they call it like the judge's bell it's just the bell they ring and so every time he gets like punched to the ground the bell rings and it's like oh round over and they go to their separate quarters but then of course his chaplain stands up and goes to his quarters the bell rings and they have to go back and start fighting back yeah Um, i like that i also like that so how did you guys watch the movie on hbo max criterion disc and and the the quality was pretty good the the print Mm -hmm. was good 
Could you guys yeah. see the rope? The the, the, yeah, the rope the wire. they used pretty well. The the wire. Oh, yeah. It was pretty I obvious. I saw it before he. Yeah, I saw it before he started doing like the diving Same. leap, and I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, does he have yeah. a cord on him? Or and then and and then he he does that move, and I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> like I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that's what that's there for. Yeah. Yeah. I at first I was like, did I miss something? Like, did he get tied up in something else? Right. That's what I thought too. I I thought like because that had kept happening, I thought it was part of the yeah <laughs> like plot. And most of this boxing scene is done in just one shot, so they had to do a lot of, like, choreography, I'm assuming, and Chaplin had to make it be perfect. And we talk about, like, the one-shot boxing scene in Creed. Nah, this is this is the boxing scene to rule them all. Yeah. The other thing about the boxing scene is that, um, like, he's clearly at a disadvantage uh, physically to this guy, but his technique is actually pretty smart like his his way to get around it is he's just gonna um like avoid the guy at all possible by hiding behind the ref every now and then take a cheap Mm -hmm. shot but not an illegal (laughs) shot and then try to hug the guy so that they get broken up and he can just do it again and it really almost (laughs) works which it shouldn't given their like size and what i presume to be strength discrepancy like it's a really good strategy for somebody who uh in a normally fought fight would beat out in like five seconds yeah, I I would be out in five yeah. seconds. I know that much. Yeah, yeah. What, so one of the best things it. is every, every time he gives him a cheap shot and he starts to get a little dizzy, Chaplin like shoves down his, on his shoulders to try to like just like nudge him, push like, him down. Just stand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he gets a stand up. <laughs> um, and then at the very end, there's a great like back and forth where Chaplin will like knock him out and he falls down and he, the, the rest starts counting, but. Like they they all like they punch them each other at the same time, and then like mm-hmm. Chaplin falls down as he's counting the other one, and then they get up, the countdown at yeah, at the end. Chaplin yeah, is the one that stays down the longest. And yeah, damn damn it, Chaplin. <laughs> he almost pulls it off. Yeah, um, bummer. But uh, yeah. So as always, Chaplin. Never. Yeah, that did not work out for him. His, you can't uh, catch his, a break. Such a great plan. Yeah. Um. Indeed. Oh god, I need to sneeze. Shit. Ugh. Anyway, um. So another couple fun facts about this movie, as uh, I have written during this sort of this sort of transition from he goes from the boxing scene to uh, going back to the uh, millionaire's house and. Some interesting things were mentioned that this was Charlie Chaplin's favorite film of his, but he thought Gold Rush was the best, which hmm. I don't want to disagree with Chaplin, but that's crazy talk. <laughs> Gold Rush is not better than City Lights, even though Gold Rush is very good. Um, the Charlie Chaplin production company is actually still in Hollywood, uh, but it's now owned by another famous uh, name in Hollywood. Does anyone know the current name of the company nope. that is there? It's the nope. Jim Henson Production Company. Hmm. Oh, cool. Which... Man, those are two freaking awesome freaking people. Yeah. Yeah. Brought lots of joy, lots of sadness. Um, according to Jean Renoir, Orson Welles, Billy Wilder, Stanley Kubrick, Woody Allen, and our Martin Scorsese, this is the best Charlie Chaplin movie and best silent movie. Um, and Woody Allen says it's Chaplin's best performance because Chaplin best handles the serious scenes. Which, hmm. I don't, know. I don't really need Woody sure. Allen's opinion on City Lights, but if, <laughs> if, you, if you need it, there, there it is. 
Um, I'll just take the, our one of the, Scorsese's word for it. Yeah, one of the articles in the um, criteria, that comes with the Criterion disc talks a little bit, a little bit about um, how this was sort of him at his peak in terms of balancing the um, like the serious with the comedic, and how he he sort of started that with the kid, but he didn't really perfect it until this movie. And I think I agree with kind of that. I don't know. The kid's pretty take. freaking this, good. The kid's good. This is, I th- I think, certainly a better movie. The kid does have, like, mm-hmm. the great child performance scene. But overall, I find this movie both more moving and funnier. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, also, the ending of the kid, just like the ending of this, is just, like, makes you cry. No matter what. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he goes back to the millionaire's house. I did write it like if this movie wasn't as silly and wonderful, it could easily be like the most depressing Italian neorealist movie. It's got that sort of <laughs> yeah. feel of just like, oh, something bad happens every single scene. Mm-hmm. They try to get out of it, something bad happens. Um, yeah. And when they go back to the millionaire's house, though, so this time there are two robbers there. That um... <laughs> the scene is so weird. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's very funny, but the way it's staged with the robbers, like, hiding behind the sofa is so weird. And, like, trying to sneak up on Chaplin and him to knock them out. Um, Mm -hmm. But they keep on, like, moving, and it's like, oh, shoot, and he has to duck behind the sofa. Yeah, but the the problem for for Chaplin here, right, is that he just, he tells the millionaire what's going on. The millionaire is like, I'll give you money. Um, And then, of course, that's when the robbers... uh, show up to wreck havoc and and make poor charlie chaplin look bad yeah um so the cops how did the cops come does the butler call the cops i can't remember that off the top of my head now it's been too long uh, i can't remember the tr- they're just the like tr- there the tramp calls the cops after he does the, call the cops. Oh, yeah the burglars right. first attack the tramp is actually the one who calls the cops mm-hmm. um yeah, he basically calls the cops on himself, which is right. Yeah, sucks. it's ironic because when the cops right, get there, there's a he looked mm. drunk. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, when the cops finally get there, though, the the burglars have run away, and Chaplin's holding a bunch of money with a knocked out millionaire, and it's just like that's not a good look. Um, mm-hmm. And he's at least able to escape, and I think the escape scene's really awesome. There's one part where Chaplin starts trying to run up the stairs. And this, like, massive shadow of a head just pops out and looks down on him. And it's like, that's pretty intimidating. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good shadow work. Uh, film, yeah. film noir would be very, very proud of that. Um, but he finally gets away. But he knows, like, he's basically on the lam now and he's going to get caught because he's a doofus. So he just goes straight to the the flower girl's house, gives him money, and he says You're gonna have to, he's going to have to go away for a while, which, uh, that's sad. That's sad. That, that scene hurt. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and he is right because basically as soon as he leaves her house he gets arrested by some plainclothes cops which is interesting because yep. I in this scene there throughout this whole movie though there's been these two newsboys that just make fun of him relentlessly but when the mm-hmm. cops start trying to arrest him the newsboys are like screw these cops a cab <laughs> try to get yeah. Chaplin away from him right yeah uh so Chaplin gets led to jail and um I love the scene where he's getting put into jail because they're kind of like walking him into this prison and uh, Chaplin in one last act of trying to be the silly tramp he is. He like throws a cigar 
that he had, there's the cigarette he had in his mouth, and he like boot kicks it from behind. I wonder mm-hmm. how many times it took him to get the boot kick right, but yeah, yeah. it's just classic Chaplin. Mm-hmm. Um, the calendar changes from January into autumn, um, and so he's been in there for quite a while. Sort of not the amount of time you would think, though, for uh, like breaking Grand and larceny. entering, theft, assault. Right, yeah, if he, they actually think he did all that. I, I had that same thought where it's like, in the end, he was only in jail for like eight or nine months or something, and it seems like, okay, he actually got kind of lucky to get out of that. Yeah, I watched Time. I know that that's not... Uh, <laughs> you know that's not how it works. Yeah, that's not the amount of time God. he would be in jail for, yeah, for, he, as, they, for assaulting right. a rich person. Right, exactly, and actually having the money on him, <laughs> like actually... Yeah, uh, I mean, yikes. I imagine that, and I guess you could speak to this more, to have that short of a sentence, he probably would have pled guilty, especially since he knows that he was caught in a way, like, we know right. he's Right, I have but. no, I, right, but he basically had already resigned himself to mm-hmm. going to jail. Yeah, I have, I have no idea how things worked then, <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, if it's anything like they work now, that would be the assumption that, yeah, he just said, he fine, I plead he guilty, and... Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And he does know he's going to like even before he's arrested. Right. Uh, when he's with right. the girl, he she says you're not going away, and he says for a while. Yeah, that, that just broke my heart. <sighs> anyway, so now the ending of the movie, which mm-hmm. what an ending. Um, so Chaplin's out of jail. He's this is like the worst the tramp has ever looked. He's so broken. His clothes are literally hanging on by a thread on his body. Yeah, this I I, I thought that too because at the very beginning, like, I, and I know it's sort of his whole look, but it is always kind of funny when it's like, oh, he's the tramp, like he's still wearing a suit, like <laughs> looks pretty good to me. But yeah, by the end, he's just yeah, huge literal holes tatters in all of his clothes. Yeah, mm-hmm. actual tatters. Yeah. Um, and we see the that the flower girl is no longer wandering the streets trying to sell. A batch of flowers. She now has a flower shop, and yeah. seems to be doing pretty well for herself. And she can now see. Um, mm-hmm. But as you do, if you have a rich benefactor, quote unquote, she keeps on trying to see if uh, you know the, the the rich man coming into her store is the person that gave her all the money. And um, right. that very like sort of striking rich guy yeah. shows up and you can tell yeah. she's so hopeful that it's him. And then I just wrote like that <laughs> no, fuck boy just... is not your rich benefactor. Yeah. 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 Sadly, he's just there to buy some flowers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I can't imagine that like any of them would even sound like Chaplin. Right. I mean, that's kind of the the wild card of all this is for like. Yeah, presumably she knows what they he sounds like. Like we can't hear them talk, but she could hear yeah. them talk. So and Chaplin <laughs> sounds like, she, really weird. Like Chaplin does right, not have a very regular voice. And she realizes spoiler alert for the scene, I guess, but when when she recognizes him it's by touch, like by his hand, yeah. which mm-hmm. is great, but also you'd think the sound <laughs> would do it. But whatever. Can't really do that in a silent picture. <laughs> right, fair enough. Anyway, so Chaplin walks around the store and uh, he sees a white flower in the gutter and he's like, oh my God, that's the kind of flower that I got when I was, you know, head over heels for this girl. And he turns around and, oh, mm-hmm. there she is. And uh, at first she's just like, oh, look, I made a conquest because he's like, just like mouth agape and it's like, oof, that would sting. But 
It's a uh, really funny way to put it, by the way. I've made a conquest. Yes. <laughs> this dude looked at me and obviously thought I was attractive. Conquest right. done. Yeah. So funny. Um, yeah, so she offers him a flower and he, like, shyly tries to, like, go away because he doesn't want to break the illusion that he had. Um, but she catches up to him and uh, she when she puts the flower in the hand, she can, like, recognize how his hand feels. I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's enough that she is like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Chaplin kind of realizes she now realizes it's him. Uh, she says, like, you? And he said, yeah, can you see me now? And she said, yes, I can see you. Um, and then it just ends with a shot of just a shit-eating grin on Chaplin's fist. <laughs> and he's, like, biting his thumb. It's so cute! Ugh. It's the perfect ending. It is. It's a very sweet ending. So I have to bring up, and I agree, it's a very sweet ending. It's um, because the other way, like the other way that scene goes is he leaves um, without her realizing it's him to, in in order to like maintain that facade, which Mm -hmm. is like a, would be a really depressing ending. Um, But the, so this is a quote from the first Criterion essay, and I forget who wrote it and I can't look it up now because the internet here um but it it talks about the ending and this guy's take on it is um he says quote we realize we have never seen the tramps so clearly so pitilessly close up if we ever thought him cute we are disabused by the hard lines around his eyes the black (laughs) gums the pathetic grease paint eyebrows and a feet mustache the face of a middle-aged vagrant a man without a future for the first time she sees him we see him and looking directly into her eyes, he sees himself, and it's devastating. What movie did this person watch? Like, how is the end <laughs> devastating at all? Like, the, what? That's the. I I will what say. What horrible the, thing the, happened the, to this guy's life? That, <laughs> right, that's how he interprets the ending. Um, I will say though, the one thing I think he's right about is it's definitely like the clearest shot we get of him. Like, it is up close, and it is the first time when I went. Oh, he's not as young as I thought he was. Like yeah, he don't I thought that look was good. something that passed through my he's head. He's right like, about that. He don't look it, good. Yeah, when it really zooms in on him, you're like, oh, maybe back out a little bit. <laughs> um, but I, but I just thought that was like funny. I just thought like, okay, tr- you know. But I, I can't imagine that we're. It didn't even occur to me that you're supposed to that anyone would interpret this as like, oh, what a dark ending because it's revealed like how yeah. miserable he is. Or, and especially, I'm sure Chaplin's not. I'm sure Chaplin's not directing it and being like, oh, now I get to show how ugly I am. You know he thinks he looks great. Time to cap. Do you want to know what Chaplin's uh, quote? Face. Ha. Ch- Chaplin's What's quote the, on that. Uh, close-up was it's the purest close-up i've ever done so he liked the it purest yeah okay. all right so the, the criterion essay by the way is written by someone named gary giddens sure hmm. um i don't know yeah i don't know anything about him but uh he it's a well-written yeah, essay about that ending yeah it's a well-written <laughs> essay but i got to that part and i'm like really am i like way off base and thinking it's a happy ending here no i don't think it's a fully happy ending because like who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, but, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because it's like, well, she she found out her, you know, millionaire she's been waiting for doesn't exist, and like, yeah, <laughs> what on earth are they going to have? I guess maybe like a friendship now, but yeah, it's it's, it's still a sweet ending, even if it's not entirely happy. 
the the important thing is like she knows him without having this image up front of what right. he looks like mm-hmm. and so someone can see and appreciate him right without the and and she's and i think I, I think if for some reason it actually was Chaplin's intention to have the ending be dark, like she could have been repulsed by him. Like mm-hmm. she could have been like very upset to discover that he was the guy and been like, "You get away from me. You're not a millionaire. You're a tramp. But you know, she's just like, oh yeah, it's you and I can see and they smile and it's nice. Yeah. yeah at at even, his like, lowest moment. Yeah. yeah. Obviously the metaphor of like her being blind and she says, oh, I can see now is like mm-hmm. not only is she physically seeing him but she's able to see him right, for who she, he actually is as opposed it. to yeah. yeah the the fake rich man that he was pretending to be throughout the course of the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um yeah uh gotta say i think the acting by um virginia cheryl in that scene is probably like the best acting i've ever seen <laughs> It's really good. She it's plays really that good. scene really well. She plays the realization really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just pff, that 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 ending kills me. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically City Lights. It's pretty quick, quick mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, quick pod. Um, good movie. So yeah. does uh, who wants to go first to do the thumbs? Thumbs up, down. Oh, it's thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up, and uh, out of four, um, I'd say th- three and a half out of four. Can't quite go full four for me, but it, it's close. It's ex- it's extremely good. I'm gonna go four again, and this has been uh, a number of films in a row. And I think <laughs> I was gonna say you're on roll. Yeah, next week uh, is absolutely gonna continue, just as a spoiler. And then, how about Decalogue? Do you think? Oh, we'll see. We'll get we'll get there in a couple weeks. Mm. How far are you in Decalogue right now? Mm, four. Okay, I'm on three. Jana, have you started yet? Nope, gonna do that this week. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And how many how many I, stars for you, Dylan? Oh yeah, how many stars yeah, for you? Dylan? And I will give it four stars. Obviously, it's like my favorite movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you have an Ebert essay quote you liked? Oh shoot, my Ebert essay is way over here. I thought this was a pretty good one. Yeah, I've, oh, I've got one essay. pulled up. And it's just the like the last few sentences. He says, um, mm-hmm. most, and this is kind of relevant to my personal experience with, um, not this as much as modern times, just because that's what we had on. But he says, uh, most, most of Chaplin's films are available on video. Children who see them at a certain age don't notice they're silent, but notice... Uh, only that every frame speaks clearly to them without all those mysterious words that clutter other films. Then children grow up and forget this wisdom, but the films wait patiently and are willing to teach us again. And uh, like I said, Evie is seen not like from start to finish modern times, but she really loves the first half hour because it has, uh, I think I mentioned this on last week's episode, but the two best Chaplin bits, I think, which is him going into the gears and then the, machine that feeds lunch um to yeah when tramp, we talked about is, like yeah when we talked about like sound effects that chaplin used in like later movies when he had audio tracks i, I will never mm-hmm. not be able to hear that uh sound that the thing does when it wipes his mouth it's such yeah. a great sound effect 
Um, so I have yeah. not watched um, uh, more than like the first five minutes of City Lights with her, but you know she's three and is definitely engaged um, for a decent amount uh, by this movie. That's like you know what 80, 80 years old or something like that. <laughs> also, she doesn't yeah. need to get to the the whole suicide stuff at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it could be one of those things though where she's you know you sort of have an age where before you <laughs> notice any of that stuff and then it's like yeah. oh he's being silly with a rope exactly yeah I don't think she would um, understand like the implication right. of it no <laughs> okay, does I'm she? Sure. Um, my quote will just be the opening uh, little paragraph uh, if only one of Chaplin's could be preserved City Lights would come the closest to representing all the different notes of his genius. It contains the slapstick, the pathos, the pantomime, the effortless physical coordination, the melodrama, the bodiness, the grace, and of course the little tramp. The character said at once to be the most famous image on earth. Which, yeah, it's a good, yep. good quote. Yeah, I had those two marked. And then the other um, section that I liked is when he's talking about the, the tramp as a character. Um, and sort of comparing him to Buster Keaton's uh, silent film characters, who he says, like, you know, a character who talks versus a character who doesn't talk, if we could hear them, um, and says, The tramp is a mime to his core, a person for whom body language serves as speech. He exists somehow on a different plane from the other characters. He stands outside their lives and realities, is judged on appearance, is homeless and without true friends or family, interacts with the world mostly through his actions. Although he can sometimes be seen to speak, he doesn't need to. Unlike most of the characters in silent films, he could have existed comfortably in a silent world. Um, which, yeah, I thought was very true. God, that was a good Ebert essay. <laughs> yeah, this is one of his better ones. He's on, he's on a good run in this stretch. Although I, I I have to do call out that we do get an anecdote about the very impressive time and place that he saw this movie. To be fair, that's the best <laughs> anecdote I've ever heard. It's it's a really good one, but it, he's got to he's got to play the hit sometimes, and so he does have to have a little bit of a. It's not even a humble brag, just a brag about um, seeing this in Venice, and Charlie Chaplin was there. And <laughs> it's a good Roger story. Died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would brag about it too. I'd, it would show up in every essay I wrote. Yeah, <laughs> it would in the days of heaven essay. You'd yeah. be like, and like when I saw City Lights in Venice. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, yeah, so let's do uh, recent watches. Um, Nick, what have you watched this past week? Uh, so one thing that I did watch that I won't be able to watch for another I don't know six months is we got to talk about baseball real quick because. Jana's team finally after yes. oh yes won the World Series since yeah. the last time we recorded. Yeah, yeah so. last time we recorded, it was still uh, how to feel, Jana. Very stressful, you know. Yeah. And good? now there's no stress at all, um, right? There's no, right, exactly. There's nothing stressful going on there's, anymore. Yeah, there's exactly the World on? Series is over. The Dodgers won. Everything is great. Um, no, it was it was very exciting. Um, although, like, I don't know it. Matt and I were talking about this like it was there's so much build up and then they won and it was so exciting and obviously it's complicated by all kinds of things happening in the world but it still is kind of like oh I thought I thought this would make me so happy <laughs> like it does but then it's like oh wait the real world still is here yeah. being terrible um but yeah. it was very exciting um so that was nice and I am going to I I will say so this is the first time ever that like the the baseball season hasn't ended like on disappointment like i'm so used to baseball season ending in a, in some sort of disappointing fashion 
and then just feeling kind of sad about it. And so it's kind of nice to be like, okay, baseball season's over. I can like <laughs> take a, I don't have to feel bad about it, but I'm sure in a couple of weeks, I'll just be annoyed that there's no baseball to watch again. Nick, I'm yeah. curious to ask you, how, how does it feel to you when a baseball season doesn't end in disappointment? <laughs> doesn't end in disappointment? Yeah. Um, Very rude. <laughs> well, let me see. Has that happened in my lifetime? No. Has that happened in my dad's <laughs> lifetime? No. No. I don't know. I'll, I'll let what you is, know in when, 2021. The, I think it's going to be our year finally. Hey, there you go. Yeah, when, out, when was the last Cleveland World Series? I know it's 40 like the something? longest streak. 48. Yeah. Oh, that's, that was the year my dad was born. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, so it's been a minute. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. You're going to win it next year beating the Yankees in the CS while they have Francisco Lindor. Yeah. Well, we did We did uh, cut yeah. our best reliever. Um, so. God, yeah. What I mean, we can't get into it, but just the nonsense that's happening right now with all of these, like, denied options and, like – it's just crazy. The, the the baseball labor market is nuts right now. Yeah. Well, they put they put Brad Hand, um, who his option was uh, ten million, or he got a one million dollar buyout. Um, they put him on waivers, and I'm like, how stupid! Like, why don't they just pick waivers? up his option and then trade? Why don't yeah? Why don't they just pick right. up that option and trade him? Like that's what they did with Kluber last year, and you know we didn't get much back. We got one guy who hasn't pitched yet uh, because he's been suspended for steroids, and then we have one guy who made like the worst outfield blunder that basically cost us game two in the wild card round. Um, so why don't they just do that again? And then not a single person picked him up on waivers. I'm like, oh, maybe the owners are just like all maybe they're colluding or tacitly colluding to not spend uh, any money at all this off season. So it looks like it's going to be yeah. a bloodbath for the players this year, unfortunately, again. Yeah. Thrilled, thrilled to spend like months talking about collusion again, heading yeah. into a contract renegotiation. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be a, that's going to be a collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. So besides yeah. that, <laughs> I watched, um, <laughs> uh, black narcissus, which is a, another Palin Pressburger oh, movie yes. starring, Deborah Carr. That was a cool movie. It escalates kind of quickly towards the end. Yep, it goes uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I watched Hour of the Wolf, uh, which is another Bergman that I have a bunch of friends who aren't like into as into movies as we are. Who or like especially this type of movie, um, who have told me to watch Hour of the Wolf for years. So I finally really yeah. So I finally caught up Interesting. with that. And yeah, that's movie. another one that kind of escalates to craziness. <laughs> yeah, it also escalates quickly. It's kind of like Black Narcissus in terms of like, not a lot happens, not a lot happens. A bunch of shit happens, like, <laughs> not quite out of nowhere. Real hits like, the oh. fan. Yeah. And then, uh, speaking of, <laughs> don't look now, very similar. <laughs> like, one. Yeah. I watched that. One thing Just, happens in the beginning. It's a lot of uh, uh, people talking sad. about churches and stuff. And then, like, some real yeah, shit. Open around Europe. Oh, my God. So did you not know the ending of Don't Look Now, Nick? I didn't. I meant to ask you that earlier. I'd, I'd you s- didn't? That's fine. Oh, good. I had seen um, a certain image of a person. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I hadn't known, like, exactly where that went. So. Yeah. Whew. I yeah, goes to a... the 
darkest place imaginable. That, that movie really goes some places, yeah. The ending of that movie is nuts. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we watched Emma, the uh, Jane Austen adaptation from oh. this year starring Anya Taylor-Joy. Really good. I really so liked good. it. Um, I was it's such watch. a good movie. Yeah, I was surprised at, at how much I liked it, actually. And, I like, the reviews for it are only kind of, like, pretty positive or kind of, like, middlingly yeah, positive. They're like, they're I like thought it was better good. than that. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it came out at such a weird time, too. Like, right. Right. At I the mean, of quarantine. like, I, I, right. I, I told you guys that I, that was like the weekend everything shut down. Like, mm. that was our plan for the weekend. It was like, oh, we're going to, we're going to take the metro. We're going to take the train downtown, go see Emma at the draft house, like our sort of like regular fun Saturday. And then, like, like a day or two before, I was like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't take the metro. I guess we'll drive. And then it became, oh, we can't go to a movie theater <laughs> like and then that was <laughs> that was seven months ago so eight months ago now so yeah mm-hmm. but yeah good movie it's on hbo max now um yep. emma so people can and should check it out there it is um a really good adaptation uh just delightfully acted and uh looks great like yep. the colors in that movie are ridiculous yeah, very good costumes Jana, what did you watch yeah um so not too much this week um like very busy but except a lot yesterday it's friday and saturday i just watched like tons of uh halloween movies all my sort of halloween regulars on friday night uh because we did not feel up to anything stressful um watched the adventures of ichabod and mr toad the 1949 like disney (laughs) shorts which that's so sweet oh my god it's i was so happy when i saw it was on disney plus because for years i used to watch it they used to show it well at least the ichabod crane one on disney channel every halloween when i was growing up and then they stopped. And then for years, I wanted to watch it. And you just couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and so Disney Plus, man, they, they have some of that fun old stuff. So um, it was great. I realized how much of it. I, speaking of things I remembered, like I knew like all the words to the song in that that <laughs> Bing Crosby sings. So good. And then we watched uh, Paranorman on Friday night also. I love Paranorman so much. Um, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. It's a good Halloween movie. Um has a very sweet. Have you seen Coraline? Well. Yes, I've seen. I've seen all of the Leica movies except Box Trolls. I have not seen Box Trolls. Um, That's fair. But um, I, we were talking last night. So I, I mean, they're about Box Trolls. But I didn't realize until like last night that every Leica movie is basically like supernatural or about monsters or yeah. creatures in some way. Um, but yeah, Paranorman's great. Yeah, and then um, yesterday for ha- yesterday was Halloween when we were recording this, so just watched all my. Halloween movie favorites, watched the actual movie Halloween. Um, I listened to the um, another movie podcast called With Gorley and Rust. That is Paul Rust and Matt Gorley's horror movie podcast. Um, and for their Patreon, they did a commentary for Halloween. So I watched Halloween with their commentary. It was really good. Um, Wait, did you say Paul Rust is part of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah, it's Matt Gorley of, and Paul Rust. Yeah. The singer of Don't Stop or Will Die, mm-hmm. Paul Rust. Don't Stop. Hey, that's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, we were we were just talking about that this week. Nelly, like I do a, enjoy. A few days ago, she was trying to figure out a, a, a band that I'd played, and she's like, "I think it was like a band from the '90s that you'd mentioned just like in passing a couple months ago." So we were searching through like every band that I had saved on iTunes, and we couldn't figure it out. And I was like, "You know what? Oh, I." Like, I figured it out. I know exactly what it is. And then I just played the Taco Night song, and she's like, I, I hate you. Uh, <laughs> so that is very terrible. Um, and yeah, and then I watched uh, 
Scream and Scream 2, Rocky Horror, Clue. Just fun. Scary, but not scary. I will say, uh, in terms of feeling very old, um, I was watching Scream last night or yesterday in the afternoon, and my friend um, texted me, and she has she has a daughter in junior high, and so she texted me, and she was like, my daughter wants to watch Scream tonight. Like, what, do you remember? Like, is that okay, you know, for junior high-ish? And I, I was telling this particular friend, I was like, well, the first time I saw it was at your house <laughs> uh, when we were 12, <laughs> so I mean... It didn't scar me for life or anything. I don't know if your 12-year-old can handle it, but she said that her 12-year-old handled it fine. So that was that was good. Mm-hmm. We're bringing the, the horror movies of the 90s to the next generation. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dylan? What did you watch? Uh, I saw David Byrne's American Utopia. Yeah. Good movie. That was perfect. Holy crap. Uh, I watched uh, Hitchcock's Notorious, which I got on... Um, Criterion recently on their most recent flash sale. Uh, that movie slaps so hard, like unbelievably good. Might be his hitch's Hitch's best. Um, and then I did quite a movie marathon yesterday. I saw, I cleaned up a couple of Criterions I wanted to see before they went off, which was one of them was a um, movie by what's the director's name. Uh, Billy Woodbury, a movie of his called Bless Their Little Hearts, which is um, sort of a movie about a black man living in Watts, and uh, it's very sad, it's very intense, uh, but very good. And then I saw Lost in America, Albert Brooks's comedy, right after that, which two movies about America coming from very different ways and very different tones, but also very good. Um and then I watched Columbus, which, by the way, is going off Criterion Channel this month. So if you can go see Columbus, see it immediately, because it's like the most perfect movie it's ever. It's such a lovely movie. Holy crap. It's very good. Yeah. Um, so that was that was just so good. I could believe it. Um, I, I told my parents that this was both a year, one of your guys' favorites from the, the uh, last, last decade. Mm-hmm. And when it when it ended, yeah, when it when it ended, my dad was like, "That, that movie." He was like a uh, Michael Bluth with uh, like her. Her. What yeah. is that movie funny or something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it have to be. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a you know, it's an incredibly small it's movie. Like it's it's one of the he, smallest he, he, movies. He it's like he didn't dislike it. Right. He was just surprised, like that movie it just it looks so good and i mean god so and john cho and um uh hayley lee richardson are just like insane good insane absolutely insane so how old is john chu's character supposed to be in that movie Um, i think mid 30s late 30s yeah that's what i think too not that much off of john cho's actual age he's 48 he's 48 yeah yeah i know yeah well i mean you think about it like so uh, he john shows in american pie and that movie came out in like oh yeah nine, like 98 99 or something yeah so you know although i think he was playing a high school student and I, he would have been at like he would have been like 28 at that point so he's That's always why had i thought he was up. like yeah early to late 30s yeah, like no. 32 to 37 i pegged him at and it's like 48 yeah yeah my god he's closer in age to my parents than he is to me and that's just weird that's not okay 
And then I wrapped up last night with possibly my favorite horror movie of all time, The Innocence, another rewatch from a Criterion that I have. Uh, that movie's awesome. Deborah Kerr's the best, as Nick already talked about with Black Narcissus. Uh, holy cow, that woman can act. And that movie is... It starts off with acting like the sound of music, and it turns out as like demented as Don't Look Now. Like, seriously. Nice. That movie's fucked up. That movie's so fucked up. Which, neither of you guys have seen it, right? No. In a sense, no. It kept, on during the last Criterion sale for Barnes & Noble, I thought about picking it up, but it was one of the ones that was, like, always out of stock, so it's like, I don't, well, pick it up at some point in time in the future. Yeah, um, keep it yeah. on the list. Real quick, I want to circle back to Columbus. Um, what do you guys think about my assertion, and I haven't thought this through entirely, but is it the most underrated movie of the last decade? Yes. It might be just because I think it's probably one of the most underseen yeah. movies of the that, last that, that's decade. That's actually a better right? word. Like, the people that have so seen under, it. Yeah. It's so under the radar. Um, and I can't even remember why I sought it out when it came out. Like, I just must have read a good review of it or something because I saw it that, that year when it came out. Um, and I, yeah, I just think it's very underseen. I think just, it's like I say, it's so small. Um, what's Coconata doing? next he's doing he's a sci-fi movie, movie. Out, I hope. He, he has a sci-fi movie yeah it's a really weird sci-fi movie. and i forget yeah, cool. there's a couple people in the cast who i was like really like I, I i can't remember who it was but i remember being uh like colin farrell yep. jody turner smith oh shoot okay Haley lou richardson cool awesome yeah. um so it's called after yang it centers on a father and daughter oh. as they try to save their life yeah their robotic family member yang in a world where robotic children are purchased as live-in babysitters. Okay, I did. I have read a little bit about this. It, oh, and it's because it's going to be a twenty-four. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't. I don't know what would be the most underrated movie of the decade. That's a good question, but I'll think about that. Yeah, okay. Like I was telling you guys, I I was going to make a decade list and I never got around to it, so I just sort of have all my year list and i kind of have to like hop around and be like what did i like from that year but maybe when i have some it could be under the skin although people I love think under the skin like... though i feel like that's yeah. kind of I, mean, one. I love under the skin yeah that i feel like my... that's pretty but it, i think that that's just one you either love or hate and the people that hate it i don't really i can't really say they're wrong Right, so I can really see why. And... I can see why if it just doesn't work for you, if it's like just not, you're like, meh, not for me. I, I can see that. Yeah, that was my number two of the decade. Yeah. Under the skin. Holy shit! Yeah. I love that movie. What year is that? Your 20, number one? Is that 2015? What year? Is it Moonlight? No, uh, my number one was Tree of Life. Ugh, whatever. That was this decade. What year did that come out? Tree of Life. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Tree of Life. Yeah, it was 2011. My number one would probably be Inside Lewin Davis. That would probably be my number one of the decade. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Hard to argue with. Yeah. Both of your guys ends up in, like, your guys' top favorites, like, end up in my top 25-ish. So, it's interesting. What's yours, got Moonlight? A good, got a good diversity of... Moonlight's oh, 20. Moonlight. It's so easy. Moonlight's in my top five ever. Yeah, Moonlight's like, probably my number Nothing two. compares to Moonlight. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had Moonlight. Moonlight. Where, where is Moonlight on your list, Nick? Three. Okay, good. I yeah. mean... You'll allow it. Yeah, I, like Moonlight's up there with the Apu trilogy. It's just like good, 
the best. Good decade. We were talking about this, uh, I think, earlier, Nick, when we had lost you briefly, but looking at like our list from 2020 and everything, and there was so much worry about this being a bad movie year, but a lot of good movies this year yeah. already, too. Like, it's... It's shaping up to be a pretty decent movie year, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, well, while we are on the pod, though, because this is something we discussed on the pod last time about how uh, sort of not very black the Criterion Channel is, but mm-hmm. basically all their big black movies are going off Criterion Channel this month. Are so they really? Every every Charles Burnett movie will be gone. Every Cheryl Dunier movie will be gone. So go watch The Watermelon Woman and... Uh, um, I oh, don't shoot, understand what's the tr- the... My Brother's Wedding is the main one that's on. Uh, and then uh, there's a lot of black exploitation films going off, like Ganjin Hess is going off. So, yeah. I think sure. Ganjin go, Hess uh, is available on Canopy, or it used to be. Uh, yeah. Also, port- uh, Portrait of Jason which is not directed by a black person, but it's a sure. that's, very, that's it's so a very I, black person's storyline. This stuff, this stuff always comes back around because the reason I watched Portrait of Jason back in March was that it was about to leave Criterion Channel yeah. back in March. So it's either left. it didn't or it just leaves and comes back. Yeah, I think it's come back and left <laughs> yeah. a couple times, <laughs> like since I watched it. Wow, the Michael Crichton movie Coma is on Criterion yeah. Channel. <laughs> Weird. Also, also didn't know That's... that there was a Phantom Tollbooth animated film adaption. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But that and Char- the Charlotte's Web, the old Charlotte's Web movie, mm-hmm. that's going off. But yeah, just seeing as we had recently talked about like how Criterion was trying to do better about making the having more stuff on the channel films it's all from about black creators. It's yeah. probably because they all added them around the same time, and now their whatever their license like are all license they up. have yeah. is expiring. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, people um, should watch so, yeah. those. I, I think everyone this month should be going and watching uh, My Brother's Wedding and Watermelon Woman because it's important movies and they're going to be gone soon. From and they should watch watchable. the Claire Denis stuff that's been just added. Yeah. I need to watch more of those. They're but, yeah, and uh, what's the movie that just came out this past year that you really like, Jana, that they're added? Um. Oh, Synonyms. So um, know, the, yeah, right. the the Laz I'm gonna I can't remember the director's name but it's La- Laz something um, it, that movie so that was a very underseen movie also mm-hmm. um, synonyms but it's super good um, it's it's like pretty harsh but it's I highly recommend that's it. one that that kind of like under the skin it seemed like a lot of people that I follow either really loved it or just was yeah like, no. it's it's pretty strange it's not as strange as under the skin because what is but it no. it does have some like, like literally it does have moments that are like kind of surreal and out there and and um but yeah it's i can see it being very divisive but i really dug it mm-hmm. um yeah definitely gonna have to check it out at some point yeah my very um, well, we're wrapping up my very quick story i saw synonyms it was playing at like the you know like the one screen theater by me you know just was playing for one weekend oh, nice. only these things that they when they barely get theatrical releases means there's a theater in la it's like walking distance from my apartment has one screen. And if something's playing on like two screens in the country, that's usually the one in LA that it's on. Um, and I went to see it and it was 
pretty much empty. It was me and Matt and like a handful of other people came in. And I was I was so sick. Like and this is like the kind of like the horror stories. I was so sick. I went to the movies anyway because like I wanted to go to the movies. Um, but I had to keep like getting up and going and standing in the back because I was having coughing fits and I didn't want to disturb people. Um, anyway, now that's a horror story to realize that I like <laughs> yeah. something I will never do again in my the entire rest of my life was just like go cough my way in a like through a movie in a movie theater. Um, uh, 2019, so long ago. I know we were all so innocent. So innocent. Who knew? Oh my god, crazy year! Yeah. All right. Uh, ho- hopefully, it doesn't get crazier in two more days. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah. This is one of those things where we're recording in a pre-election world, and I'm sure this will go up in a post-election yeah. world, and that's fun. That's, yeah. that's fun to contemplate. Yeah. By the time people hear this, it, like a lot of uh, yeah, but it probably it probably won't uh, be decided. No, but they'll at they'll all. at least we'll they'll know what hell. happened on Tuesday. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll be a step ahead of us, but. Yeah, yeah, fun times. Feeling scared. Yeah. Anyway, uh, happier things. Uh, our next film is Days of Heaven. Does anyone have a read on where you can watch that right now? I, Does anyone have I that? can tell you in 30 seconds. Three, two, one. I said 30 seconds, not three <laughs> seconds. Um, it is available on it looks like just rentable in the usual places amazon okay. itunes it does not appear to be streaming um like for quote unquote free anywhere but it's on it's on google amazon itunes the usual places mm-hmm. sounds good so do that uh you can check us out at um, Twitter or Letterbox at Great Movies Pod, and shout out to our cover artist for our podcasts, uh, Scott Brady. You can find him at, find him at S Brady Artist on Twitter, and that should be all. Roger out. Roger out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else, and that makes me a better person, that to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.